everyone. This is Jim Hughes with AFIO Now. We are a program of recorded uh, interviews with former U.S. intelligence officers. Today, we're going to do something a little different. As you can see, we're going to have a panel discussion, and it's not going to be on some historic event. It's going to be a topic uh, that is currently in the news. Um, to help me as co-host, uh, I'm delighted to uh, welcome Stuart Baker. Stuart is a former uh, general counsel for the National Security Agency. He is a partner for the uh, law firm uh, Steptoe and Johnson, and he has the podcast called Cyber Law. And I'm very happy to say he is the chairman of Appio. Uh, Stuart, welcome to Appio Now. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, so I, it, it's particularly a pleasure to be here with two people to talk about this topic uh, who are really expert on it. Uh, uh, the topic that we're going to be talking about is legislation that uh, is aimed at uh, addressing the problem of uh, former intelligence uh, officials going to work for foreign governments or uh, entities controlled by foreign governments and doing intelligence-related work of one sort or another, uh, which um, recently has provoked, provoked scandals and uh, indictments. Uh, uh, we'll talk a little bit about how we got here and then what the House Intelligence Committee is proposing to do about it in legislation that could pass uh, uh, very soon. Um, uh, so uh, the experts that we have brought together are first Chris Bing, uh, who is a Reuters reporter. I've known him, Chris, for several years. Um, uh, he's been on the podcast. It's a, a pleasure. His uh, team, and he in particular, broke the story of Project Raven, which is what really has inspired this legislation, and then broke the story of the Project Raven participants being indicted and reaching a plea agreement uh, with the government. Uh, um, so Chris, it's a great it's great to have you here. It's great to be here. Thanks, okay, uh, and uh, uh, Mike Rogers, uh, uh, former congressman, former chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, uh, who followed a lot of these things before they uh, were in the headlines, and continues to be uh, uh, deeply involved in intelligence and national security issues uh, uh, as a public commentator and uh, board member. I, uh, Mike, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Stuart. It's glad to be here. Chris, great to be on a panel with you. So, Jim, do you want to start the questions? Yes, um, I'd like to start with Chris Bing. Chris, can you tell us, our audience, a little bit more about Project Raven that led to both criminal investigation and a possible response by the Congress? Yeah, so this story really begins in late 2018, early 2019, when uh, myself and a colleague continued to hear rumors about a group of former American intelligence officials who are returning from the Middle East um, to the Maryland and Virginia area, taking on defense contracting jobs, who were kind of telling their story to colleagues about how they had done some pretty unethical stuff on this contract abroad, um, offering hacking services to an authoritarian government after working in the U.S. intelligence community, primarily the National Security Agency and CIA. And you know, as people were coming back and as these stories were slowly starting to reverberate in the local area, my colleague and I started picking up on them. We wanted to learn more. We wanted to understand what had happened, 
where it was happening, who was affected, what were the contours that allowed this to happen. And pretty soon we pieced together that over the last uh, really decade, there had been a, a long-standing contract spread across multiple companies from um, SRA International and Good Harbor originally into a Maryland defense contractor named CyberPoint, and then later into an Emirati cybersecurity company known as Dark Matter. This contract was designed to bring over former U.S. intelligence officials, people with hacking skills and hacking tradecraft, and have them work for the Emirati government, uh, providing offensive services. And it's through this reporting that uh, you see some of the legislation that's coming out today. Uh, while we were doing this story, we understood also that the uh, FBI and the Justice Department was seeking a case and uh, pursuing an investigation into these activities because of violations and export control laws. There was also concerns about leaks of classified secrets since the individuals that were going over there were providing services almost solely based off their knowledge of how those things were conducted in the U.S. intelligence community. And so um, you saw that our, the, the last story we wrote on this was in late 2019. And then since then, you now have the FBI investigation going public. You have three separate criminal charges against individuals that are part of this program. And then as uh, Stuart mentioned earlier, you now have the, the beginnings of this legislation in the House Intelligence Committee. I'd like to turn to Mike uh, Rogers now. Mike, how big a problem is this with uh, former U.S. intelligence officers with access to sensitive sources and methods going overseas to work for foreign governments? Um, well, it's it, I can't say it's huge in numbers, but I think it is huge in impact. Uh, and that's why some of these cases rose up uh, to me, certainly when I was chairman of the Intelligence Committee, and it wasn't just intelligence officers. I think we need to make this clear. So other cases where we had, uh, in a, several cases, a political appointee U.S. ambassadors who literally walked out the door and walked down, you know, when their ambassadorship was over and walked down the hall and signed up with the government of which, as we all know, we're getting pretty sensitive information from our intelligence collection activities in that particular country. Uh, to me, that was a problem. We also, on the defense side, uh, we had cases that rose up uh, that uh, got to the point where we were a little bit concerned about people just walking, you know, selling some services uh, to foreign governments. So I think the problem is big in the sense that it happens and it happens with frequency. Again, not everybody's rushing out the door to do this, and I don't want to create that opinion. But when it happens in a way like we just saw that Chris outlined, and that was some really great reporting on that, I thought, it becomes a huge problem. And so back when I was chairman, we were still having these debates and it was interesting and I'd be interested in some of the members weighing in on this. Who owns that clearance, right? We were going through a process at the time where we were having people who were purposely leaking information that was classified. They didn't have authority to do it. And sorry, Chris, but they ought not to be doing that part either. And so what we were saying is, and I was pushing was at the time, well, give them, take it away from them. They don't own that clearance. And it created, I don't, I mean, maybe some of the members on the call may remember this period where I was pushing to say, okay, put it on administrative. Uh, take an administrative step to take away that clearance at temporarily until they got their, you know, got their head right, if you will, because the, they don't own that. Inf it's not their information. And by the way, the clearance doesn't belong to you either. It's conferred to you by 
uh, the people of the United States. And I have a clearance now. It's not mine. The government gives it to me to do the work that I do uh, in, in relation to the intelligence community. So this big debate started coming up about who owns the clearance. Is it theirs? And what what were we ta- what were we taking away from that individual if they couldn't go sell their services to fill in the blank? That was all. These were all debates that we had inside that committee. So uh, to me, it was a, an, a, an interesting time because uh, I think the Snowden affair thought we we started seeing these copycat activities on people thinking that they should share it for other reasons. We also saw that that people were had some belief. And again, everyone from ambassadors to uh, intelligence officers and everything in between thinking, well, maybe I can go sell these services overseas. So I think it's a problem. I think it's a problem to do something about. I'm not sure the legislation got it exactly right. And it certainly didn't include some of the other big violators of this uh, activity as well. Stuart, do you want to take the next set? Yeah, because I want to pick up on on some of the things that Mike said. I, I I want to start by saying I don't think there's anybody who thinks that Project Raven turned out well, or that the people who did those things should have done those things. Um, and uh, uh, in general, I think there's a feeling that probably we should do more to make sure that um, people who've had clearances, who've had access to very sensitive tools and capabilities, uh, understand that, uh, as Mike said, that's not their information to use for their own personal um, uh, career advancement. That's information they had for the United States government, and uh, the United States government needs to control how they use it. Now, there are controls. Uh, uh, Much of that is any kind of service that uh, helps an intelligence service is going to be covered by U.S. export controls, the ITAR regulations. And uh, it, there may well be times when the U.S. government says, no, this is a government that we know we want to help, and they aren't capable of doing some of the things that they need to do for counterterrorism purposes. And we are going to authorize Americans to go provide those services to to bring their capabilities up to uh, to snuff. Uh, so there are times when the U.S. government might want to hand off these capabilities, uh, but um, that ought to be a decision by the U.S. government, not by uh, individuals who are looking for work. Um, so that, that is, I think, the spirit in which the, 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 the HIPSI, the House Intelligence Committee, uh, put forward uh, a bill. This is only in the House bill. It's not in the Senate uh, authorization bill, but it is currently uh, reported out of committee with a provision uh, in it. So there's a real possibility that it will pass. Um, the things that I think are interesting and may be hard in this bill, I would I would put three um, uh, points on the table about the bill that may suggest that the bill is not fully thought through. One, it applies only to employees of intelligence agencies. Um, it, it That would include people who've been detailed to an intelligence agency if they come out and then go uh, uh, leave the service uh, they could be covered by this to some degree. But by and large, if you were in the special forces or uh, uh, were an admiral or an ambassador and you were getting detailed uh, source and uh, uh, method 
briefings on a regular basis and you knew a lot about what uh, our intelligence collection posture was in a particular case, uh, uh, country, um, all of that, uh, uh, which is highly sensitive, would be in the hands of a State Department or a Defense Department uh, employee who's leaving the government and would not be covered by this legislation. Um, that, I, to, to my mind, I, there's a real question whether that's uh, an appropriate division of responsibility or whether the intelligence agencies ought to be singled out for uh, uh, for regulatory action when we're not doing something that covers the sources and methods information and anybody who has it. So that's, that's question one about the legislation. Um, the second issue I see with this legislation is that it is enforced in part uh, by a kind of record keeping requirement. The employee who takes a job has to disclose that job uh, if they think it might be covered uh, uh, to their agency. The agency has to keep records of every employee who within the last uh, several years has um, gone to work for a, a foreign government influenced entity. Um, and uh, uh, that is then reported every year to Congress, including the specific identities of the entity that is doing the hiring. Uh, that's, uh, you know, the the possibility that that will leak is substantial, uh, uh, to my mind. Uh, and uh, uh, the need for uh, a Record-keeping um, uh, detailed requirement is open to question. Even maybe more um, unusual, uh, the agency that is keeping the records is required to ask whether the employee who has left the government and is working for a foreign government um, uh, whether it, there's there are sufficient guarantees in place to make sure that employee does not violate human rights uh, or the privacy rights of Americans. Um, this is a kind of backdoor human rights requirement. Uh, um, and I think could easily turn out to to create a lot of new regulatory requirements on people leaving the government again just the intelligence community, not other parts of the government. And then the, uh, the last issue here is it's enforced with a criminal penalty. And I think we all recognize that criminal penalties might be appropriate. And indeed they were um, uh, raised in the context of the Project Raven case. And uh, um, there's a deferred prosecution agreement, which is something that one reaches when criminal penalties are uh, under consideration. And there's a what amounts to a confession to acts that would violate U.S. law uh, already. So we have some criminal penalties. These criminal penalties are a little broad and a little vague because it essentially says you're, you're you've committed a felony if you uh, take a position with a uh, government entity that uh, or an entity that is wholly uh, or partially owned by a foreign government or subsidized by a foreign government. Uh, and then uh, uh, you have to uh, um, uh, avoid uh, 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 taking that position unless it's been approved. Uh, I, 
it's going to be a pretty broad um, bar. Uh, the, the words here, you can't take an internal security or other security job uh, uh, to a with a company or a person whose activities are directly or indirectly supervised, directed, controlled, financed, or subsidized by any government. Uh, you know, I read that as as potentially saying you can't become the chief information security officer for Airbus, which is obviously uh, uh, financed and subsidized in uh, major part by foreign governments. That may be excessive for a criminal penalty. You might say, well, if we if we required people to notify us of that, uh, uh, we might want to write broadly. But I do think the criminal penalties here. Uh, where it's not clear how much we need in additional criminal penalties, um, and the provision is written very generally, there there are questions about whether this should be uh, revised to uh, much more narrowly focus on uh, making sure that people have um, disclosed uh, and not so much on trying to write a standard of who they can work for and can't work for. So those are the three big issues I see with the, the legislation. Nobody disagrees that I'm aware of that we ought to have some restrictions, but those three questions ought to get a close look in, in Congress before we pass a, a bill like this. Yeah, and can I just jump in real quick on this? Uh, uh, the, the last piece, the criminal piece about working for a company uh, that is partially or fully funded by uh, a foreign entity. I know where that came out of, and I'm not, I don't think they got it right either in the bill, but it came out of the Jerry Lee case where you had a, a CIA officer who uh, obviously was a spy for, for Chinese intelligence services, and he left uh, to, and didn't take money while he was employed, gave information while he was employed, and then left to go to a fully funded company. So it was all make-believe paper on, uh, and he was, you know, handsomely paid for his services and then continued to provide information to the Chinese intelligence services. And so I think that what they were talking about, I think what they were trying to get at is that, is something like that case uh, where it was clearly, and what, you know, they were pretty clever about how they, they did the obfuscation of where the money came from. But when you pulled that thread, you went, yep, clearly this was paid for by the Chinese intelligence services to keep him employed at a very high rate of pay uh, to for him to continue to cooperate. And by the way, which resulted in the death uh, of individuals who were patriotic enough to, to try to change their system in China. So, I mean, there, I, there is the, the weight of that is serious. How you get there, I think, Stu, is so important. I, you know, that's a that's a great example. And uh, I agree with you. It it. it um, it's a way of paying people off if they if they willing are willing to trust the government that that, that promises them that uh, that job that uh, avoids a lot of the uh, uh, the current espionage uh, law. Uh, so yes, th this is something that needs to be carefully drafted. I'm not sure it needs to be um, tied in with a kind of Project Raven uh, uh, a situation, um, but this is why I think. Um, a debate about exactly how those criminal penalties ought to apply is needs to be part of the discussion. 
I'd like to turn back to um, Chris Bing. Uh, Chris, what's the status of the bill, and what do you think the chances are of its passage? Yeah, so, um, you know, policy, typically when it comes out of committee, even it's somewhat of a first draft, and that's uh, some of the issues that Mike and Stuart are raising are part of that. So it has passed the, it's out of committee, it's passed the House Intel Committee. It's part of the Intelligence Community Budget Bill. Uh, it's expected to pass the House. And then it goes to the Senate where you can see edits, changes. The staffers and folks that I've spoken to do believe it will pass uh, with edits. They, I think, understand that there are changes that still need to be made, that need to be refined. But this is a really complex law. This is a really a delicate policy area. Um, and I think one challenge within it that, I, that I've understood um, that both Mike and Stewart touch on is how do you categorize the countries where, uh, where this should be barred, essentially, right? Like there are countries where it is very obvious and that can be written into law, Russia, China, Iran, North Korea. But there also is a whole host of allies and semi-allies that don't necessarily fit under any existing uh, arms embargo or other sensitive uh, lists that's predefined by the government. And, you know, it's it can be tough to write directly into policy that we do not want former American intelligence officials to go work for an ally, right? So there there's a lot of parts to this. Uh, I think the next step we're going to see is how does it change in the Senate? and who tries to influence it in the Senate. And that's certainly something I'll be following. Thanks, Chris. If I remember, the the Senate has also passed an authorization bill, or at least the, the Senate and Intel Committee has reported one out that doesn't have this provision in. So at some point, the House and the Senate have to negotiate whether it goes in and how. Yeah, they have to come together now. Sorry if I didn't make that clear. Yeah. Um, at this point, I'd like to inform our audience that um, in preparation for today's session, Stuart and I actually reached out both to the AFIO board and to the uh, AFIO chapter presidents, about 20 individuals in each case, and uh, asked them a series of questions uh, about the uh, pending law after informing them on it. And we got a lot of response. And I'd like to summarize for you just very quickly what some of those responses were. First and foremost, the large majority said there need to be a clear set of rules and former U.S. intelligence officers need to follow those rules. They also felt that the current language in the uh, pending legislation is vague and doesn't and lacks clear definition, which could lead to misinterpretation. There was also the feeling that singling out U.S. intelligence officers only was probably unjust, and that other categories, as Mike and Stuart mentioned, like the Department of Defense, the National Security Council, and perhaps even members of um, the oversight committees, if they have high-level clearances, should be included in that legislation. Um, there was also a satisfaction that AFIO was taking on this issue, that wanted to uh, have a, an informed discussion about this important piece of the legislation. And some even encouraged uh, AFIO to offer its good services um, if asked uh, to provide um, backup and guidance. Finally, there was a, a lesser concern, and Stuart might want to address this very quickly, that in doing a program like this, AFIO might jeopardize its um, nonprofit status. You want to talk to that, Stuart? Sure. Uh, it, 
there there are restrictions on nonprofits engaging in partisan politics in particular. Uh, uh, but there are also par parts of the tax law that encourage uh, uh, nonprofits to educate and speak out on on public issues. Uh, this is not a partisan issue, I don't believe, uh, remarkably uh, in today's Washington. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, there is certainly nothing uh, disqualifying from uh, Afio's uh, nonprofit status in expressing a view about uh, how a bill like this could be modified uh, and or in uh, Educating its members and letting its members express their own views to uh, to members of Congress. I'd like to address this next uh, question to Mike Rogers. Mike, you're kind of in a unique position to have a point of view on this. You're an AFIO board member, and you're a former HIPSI chairman. What advice would you give to AFIO members if they feel strongly and would like to express an opinion on this topic? Yeah, I, I think engaging at the right place is to me is wholly appropriate because you offer you you offer a set of uh you know a view of this issue that many on the committee won't won't have, including the staff that are kind of you know wrestling with the details and in, in the language in the bill. And so I, I would highly encourage people to reach out if they felt comfortable. It that is not in an, uh, a lobbying uh effect. You're trying to educate on the broader issues. Uh, and let people know that, listen, this is just broader than intelligence officers. And I, I passionately believe that. I mean, we have folks who have taken very sensitive military training of which we provide and sold it to countries that are we we would consider adversaries. Um, and I, I don't believe that they got permission to do it. Right. And so my argument is, is that I think that crosses the line, too. So I think I would encourage people to reach out, I, you know, find somebody on the committee you know, make a phone call, send an email, write a write a note, write a, write a letter. Letter is obviously going to take a lot longer to get there. It has to go through the the whole, the, you know, the de, the radiation process in some you know undisclosed location. So I, I highly suggest emails and and phone calls work just as well. Uh, you know, I always thought it would be great for maybe Athio to say, hey, we'll, we'll be happy to put a little working together as you guys are going to debate this into uh, into, uh, you know, when they when reconcile these bills, we're happy to put a little working group together to give you some opinions, thoughts and concerns uh, that may be helpful to the end game, because I don't I don't think they got a lot of that when this happened. I think this thing was rushed through pretty quick. You know, the the, the reporting on Raven clearly showed that there was a problem. There's other problems out there that reached the committee, I know. And so you start thinking, OK, we got to do something. Let's go do something. So I think that would be a, a, absolutely a worthwhile uh, conversation to have. And it can be thoughtful. It's, and again, it's not partisan. Uh, it would be an education process. You don't necessarily have to be outrageously public about it. Uh, you can just go have these conversations. I, I think that absolutely would be appropriate. This me, this is Mike Rogers, but I think it would be appropriate for uh, uh, FEO to do that. Well, I think this is a, a timely and very top, important topic. Uh, before we close, I want to give our um, guest panelists one last chance. If you have anything else that you'd like to offer before we close. I would like to uh, um, second uh, Mike Rogers' suggestion that uh, um, FEO should be uh, quite pleased to offer expert uh, uh, advice uh, to anybody uh, who is on the Hill and wants to think about uh, what kinds of changes 
uh, are appropriate here, uh, what considerations might be uh, uh, taken into account. Uh, and uh, I hope they'll get in touch with you, Jim, and uh, ask for, uh, for that guidance. Great. And Chris, I just I think Chris brought this is a great point uh, that you can't you can't list the countries in the bill. We we also know countries that wouldn't fall on the immediate list that uh, frequently share intelligence collected uh, if it if it would show harm to the United States and they would do it with a wink and a, a nod and a and a cigarette break as we yeah. know. Uh, and so I think this that's the challenge we have to get at is how do you how do you you worry about these other countries who are very eager, by the way, today to pay for this information? They are very eager. Uh, I mean, if I get one more Huawei request for a lot of money, I tell you, it's crazy, right? They're, they're out there trying to figure out ways to get in. And that's just one example. But there are other countries. I mean, think about it, Pakistan, even you know, the Saudis who are friendly to the United States and we're friendly to them. What are they doing with information if they were giving it to them? Are they using it in the right way? All of these things are fair questions. Uh, and it would be great to, you know, to have that uh, AFIO uh, expertise to say, hey, you know, you're pretty narrow here in this, you're, this the way you've written the criminal statute. I, I do worry about it, too, that it's going to be used at the wrong time for the wrong reason. Um, when you're really just trying to say, remind these people, hey, listen, you have a responsibility to the United States not to share information that could be worked, you know, used to work against us. Well, this has been a very important topic. I think a great discussion. I want to thank uh, both of our panelists, Chris Bing and Mike Rogers. Um, gentlemen, we wish you all the best in your future endeavors. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Thanks.